Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Blue Butterfly Effect podcast. I am Millie Murillo. I am here with my co-host, Ashley Torrent, and we have a really great topic for you all today. But first of all, how are you, Ashley? I'm good. It's nice to see you. You too. You too. Thank you. So our topic for today is spirituality in our work. And we're not just going to speak from our perspective as, you know, a, a psychospiritual counselor and an astrologer and mindfulness coach. I, I thought this topic is important to talk about because this is spirituality in our work, regardless of what our work is. And the reason that I was inspired to, to bring this up was that I used to work in the corporate world. And Ashley had a different job, a different career before doing what she does now. And I know that there are a lot of people out there, you know, who work the quote unquote nine to five and, and dream of potentially shifting in a different direction. And I totally understand that sometimes that's just not feasible for people immediately. So what do we do when we are at a job, in a career that is just no longer aligned with us, but we know that we have to remain there. It's something pretty heavy. It's, it's significant because it's where we spend a lot of our time. It's when we are not with our families, when we are not doing the things that we love to do. How do we hold space for being somewhere that we feel we need to be? This is a tough one um, because we spend so much of our time doing work. And somebody created the 40-hour work week, and we've created this idea that that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I don't think that we are taught often to define what we do for a living or work, in quotes, as something that gives us purpose or is meaningful or actually lights us up or could bring us joy. I think when we think about work, it feels heavy, it can feel boring, it feels like we're supposed to do. It feels like it has to be a set number of hours so we can get the health insurance, so we can get the money. But our definition of work, especially in our country, I think, is, is something that's based on an idea that I think is antiquated, and I hope that we can change it. But for now, what we're talking about is when we're in a job that we're not enjoying or we may consider boring, how do we show up? Mindfulness is a huge part of this. Yeah. Like I said, I, this was a topic that, that I wanted to talk about because for a long time, I was at a job that for the last, definitely for at least the last three years that I did it, I hated it. I hated every single day of it in some way, shape or form. And that is no way to live. No. That is no way to live. For those of you that don't know, I was a I was a paralegal for ten years, and so I worked very much in a corporate world, very very antiquated, very traditional, very much forty hours plus a week. If you put in overtime, if you did extra work, then that's how you were really acknowledged, and that's how you were able to make more money. All of the things, and for a while, I I really I mean I'll be very honest, I enjoyed that. It's it's who I was at the time. But then as I started coming into my own and started getting much more into spirituality and getting to know myself a lot more, 
I realized how disconnected I became from that. And like I said, the last three years of, of doing that job, doing that work were miserable. When I think back on it, I was not present. I was always hoping and wishing that I was somewhere else. And that's understandable, especially when we're in a place that we don't want to be in. But I also had to, especially towards the end of it, I had to reconcile with, okay, I committed myself to this job. This isn't just me collecting a paycheck. This is significant work that requires that I am present, that requires my best, not just because that's what's expected, but because I also owe it to myself to show the best of me, right? And so when we're presented with this, I don't know, with with this scenario of not wanting to be somewhere and then having to weigh the, but I still have I, I still owe it to myself. I still have some integrity to live by being present one day at a time, one task at a time, one brief at a time, one phone call, one meeting at a time is what really allows us to begin. I think to begin, I, I think that by the time that we get to a space where we genuinely hate our jobs, especially if we have to remain there, I think that's when we really need to get a coach a therapist, have a space where we can process. Because I I found that we get to a point where we really need that support. And it's what definitely helped me get through those last three years that felt very miserable. (laughs) I was thinking about this topic. I was remembering all of the jobs that I've done and the spectrum of jobs. After babysitting, my next job, which I think is a fascinating job in some ways, I used to make food for vending machines. (laughs) I would have to be there at five in the morning. I would work from like, I think five to 10 Mm -hmm. and I would make sandwiches for vending machines. It's about as gross as you can imagine. And I was in this tiny kitchen with this woman and it was on Sunday mornings once a week and she would listen to the top 40 country countdown. I was in Texas and didn't like the music in this small kitchen, making this disgusting food, pimento cheese, turkey sandwiches. But I remember just feeling like, okay, if I'm going to be doing this work, how can I make the nicest sandwiches? How, let's see how many sandwiches I can make in the next 30 minutes. You know, I would set these little goals for myself because I do always want to do a good job no matter what I'm doing. But even when I was a grill cook, when I've worked for different corporate companies, I managed a bar, I was a waitress, a bartender, all sorts of things. I would always try to make little goals for myself to make sure I was doing a good job, but getting as much done in the right way as possible so that I wouldn't check out and get bored. And I really feel like boredom is not really a feeling as much as it's an absence of connection. When you're working, if you're bored, there's nothing that's going to make the time go by slower than boredom. So Even when we're doing something tedious or even when we're in a job that doesn't fulfill us or give us purpose, it's like Millie saying, having that integrity of what can I fall back on? What can I do to make this job something that I can show up for if this is where I am? And so much of our life in general is being in the present moment, accepting the circumstances where I am. It doesn't mean those things won't change, but coming into the present moment with mindfulness can allow you to go okay, how can I make this day feel successful to me or meaningful as far as getting my work done with integrity? I feel that it becomes much more about us than about the actual work or the job itself. You know, when I was very young, I was 
I was about 19 or 20 and I used to be an administrative assistant. And I used to work with this lady. She was at the time, she's probably in her her 50s. So she had been with that company for a really long time. And she had been passed over for promotions. She hadn't been given a raise in a few years. And she finally asked for one and she got one, but she didn't. She didn't really get what she felt she deserved. But the job worked for her because of the hours and because we used to work for a timeshare company. So we used to get like travel perks. She and her husband used to be able to travel to the resorts, all of these things, right? There were some perks to the job that really made it worth it for her to stay there and to be there. Now, she wasn't in love with the job, but she showed up every single day, every single day on time, did everything to the T perfectly. When I say perfectly, I mean perfectly. Her workspace was always clean. She always did her best. She always gave her best. And she used to take her lunch break at her desk. And so there were so many times where so many people tried to talk to her during her lunch hour. And she would put up a little sign on her desk that said on my lunch break, She would not respond. She would pretend that there was a wall. And if people tried to talk to her, she would ignore you. So she created really healthy boundaries around her time because that was her time. And the time that she put into work was the time that she really put into work and she was there and she was fully present and she did her best. And I remember one time we had a conversation because at 19, I was just complaining about it. I hated all the things. She said, you know, the work that you do isn't about the work. The work that you do and how you do it says a lot about your integrity. And that's what matters. And I'll never forget that. Mm. This was like, I don't know, this was like 15 years ago, 15, 16, something like that years ago. And that never left me because I realized there was a certain level of acceptance, Mm. of acceptance and of responsibility. Have you ever been in a work environment where people slack off because they feel like they're taking their power back or, you know, they're not showing up and not taking responsibility for where they are because they think they're giving it to the man or they're Mm -hmm. getting away with something. And Mm -hmm. that culture of slacking off, you know, it's contagious. But what you realize, they're not really taking their power back. They're actually, their day is less purposeful. They're not getting anything done. And then when you're doing that, you're not acting in integrity. You're not taking responsibility for the fact that you applied for this job or you asked for this job and you're getting paid to do something. I think there's something about they are paying me to do this job and showing up as best you can because you've accepted that job. It doesn't mean you love it. It doesn't mean you have to love it. But there's no power in just slacking off and pretending you're doing something and not doing anything. So I love that she showed up every day, was very clear. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do a great job and I'm going to leave. Yes, it was exactly like that. She didn't, she didn't care for working overtime. She didn't care for working on weekends. She was very clear about her boundaries. And I think that that's another thing that comes into play, that When we are not clear about our boundaries at work, we can become very resentful. (laughs) And this is coming from experience. This is coming from a people pleaser. (laughs) I found myself so many times 
you know, well, if I, if I do more, if I come in, if I stay late, if I come in early, then it'll all be appreciated. And, and, you know, I'm going to get all the praise and all the stuff. And then that's not how it always happens. And then I would end up in the space that you just mentioned right now. Then I would end up, you know, not showing up fully, not doing things to the best of my ability. And that's not a good space to be in. I realized this was after much internal work that part of the reason why I was hating where I was at and and not showing up in the way that I should is because I wasn't meeting my responsibilities fully. You know? And a lack of boundaries creates resentment. Mm-hmm. So if you're not meeting your responsibilities fully, but you're also not creating boundaries and you're expecting people to notice or reward you for when you're working harder and then you feel resentment, that resentment leaks out everywhere. It leaks out into your attitude. It leaks out into your performance. And it's such a great metaphor for life because in any situation where we don't have boundaries, we end up creating resentment. Yeah. And, you know, I read this quote by Dr. Wayne Dyer a long time ago that was recently reminded to me by a friend. And it's, there is no resentment that is justified. Oh, I love that. There is no resentment that is justified. When I read that several years ago, I thought, holy shit. (laughs) Like it just, the reminder that it all comes back to us. It all comes back to a point of choice. It comes back to personal responsibility. Again, from personal experience, I'm, I'm speaking from a lot of personal experience because this is something that was very heavy for me. This is something that I had to really work through on my own. When we have to accept that we are in a job that, that we end up hating, a massive part of that is accepting that we chose to be there. And that hurts. It hurts to accept that because from that space, we want to say, well, if things were different around me, then I would love it. But would we? No. Right. I mean, maybe something can change that the the environment, the dynamic. But at the end of the day, coming back to owning what we chose is really empowering. Is really empowering. Yes, this brings up the dynamic between resistance, acceptance, and choice and surrender. I think when what we're talking about that builds resentment or not taking responsibility, we're living in resistance to what is. And I think so many people can relate to the idea of, I don't want to be in this job. I'm resisting my boss. I'm resisting my coworkers. I'm resisting the schedule. I'm resisting the work itself. Resistance is this heavy fog that creates a lack of movement. Resistance is often fear disguised as something else. And resistance just keeps us static. It just keeps us from accepting where we are. It keeps us from having choice. It keeps us from movement. So if we can move into the place of acceptance, we have to let go of resistance to what is. We have to accept the circumstances. And people often say, well, if I accept it, then I've just surrendered. No, when you've accepted it, you've come into the moment and you can finally figure out what's next. But you can't move to what's next or have any choice until you accept what is in this moment. It's like, if I can't breathe, I have to accept the fact that I can't breathe and I can choose to open a window, put on an oxygen mask. You know, it's like you have to, you can't figure out how to save yourself until you accept what's right in front of you. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. It doesn't become easy or easier until we allow it to. And, and 
when we hold on, this is reminding me so much of the energy that we're currently experiencing, especially as we're headed towards eclipses, which are at the end of April and in mid-May. So currently, we're experiencing the transit of the South Node. The North and South Nodes are mathematical points. They are karmic points in the sky. They orbit the moon. So that's that's very Astro 101. But when we look at that from a spiritual psychological coaching perspective, the South Node represents all of those ingrained belief systems and stories that we hold on to with dear life because you know, of an array of things. But what I have found is that they keep us from taking absolute responsibility of the present moment. And I've worked with a few people on -on one-on-one coaching. And again, the experience that I had myself is first and foremost, accepting, okay, I can't leave this job now. How have I not shown up? How do I take responsibility for that? And how do I commit to showing up from this point forward. At this point, not because of the company, not because of the work itself, but because of the relationship that I want to have with myself. So when we create this commitment, when we make this commitment to ourselves of choosing differently on a daily basis, which has to be conscientious effort at that point, once we get to the end of the brink, right? It goes against all of these stories, all of these ingrained belief systems, It goes against all of this South Node and Scorpio energy that I'm talking about. This shadow part, the side of our story that doesn't always bring out the best in us. And we may begin to ask ourselves, I am not this person. I am not a lazy person. I am not an unreliable person. Where is this coming from? And I can understand the suffering that can come from that. If if we allow it, our work can be a mirror of where we are personally in our personal evolution. Any relationship we're in or situation in could be a mirror. So if you're in a job that you don't like or you're really unhappy or is creating suffering, I would ask, what is this reflecting back at me? What have I chosen and why? And like you say, what have I bought into the idea that work actually means? And is there any other story I can tell? And if I am suffering in this relationship to my work, what is my responsibility in this? And if I can take responsibility, how can that change how I show up or the energy around it? I think if we have to accept where we are for the moment, what can our circumstances teach us that we don't want to replicate going forward? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that this is such an important topic, especially in the time that we're living in, because we have so many choices, right? We have so many choices to be able to make a living in other ways that are not the traditional nine to five. And look, this isn't this isn't anything against you know the traditional nine to five. Not being in it now makes me appreciate it in ways that I didn't before. Would I want to go back? Not really, but but I understand how great it can be. And there are people who genuinely enjoy the work that they do. They really do. And that's wonderful. But in the time that we're living now, where we have so many options, where it's, you know, it's constantly promoted, make a million dollars a day, you know, like all of these things that promise people the freedom that they would like. And I think that it's possible, you know, depending on what you're looking for. I think you have to also realize that, okay, let's say that you are able to leave your traditional job and begin to work for yourself. (laughs) 
<laughs> my love, it's not any different. It's your work will reflect even more who you are. How we do one thing is how we do most or all of the things. And that is something that I will be very honest, it smacked me right in the face because there were a lot of bad habits that I built, especially that I fell into, especially towards the end of, of working a traditional job that I then found myself really having to work really hard against those bad habits now that I found myself working for myself. And they were much more highlighted and there was no way to escape it. There was no one to blame. There was no one to point the finger to, nothing. I had everything I wanted and now I had to show up with full integrity. So I find this important to say again, because of the climate that we're living in, yes, do are there more possibilities for people to express their creativity and actually make a living out of it? Absolutely. If you have the opportunity, do it, jump into it, give yourself that, that joy, but understand that it's going to highlight a lot of parts of yourself and you have to hold it if you want to keep moving forward. I think it's so important to ask, no matter what job you're in, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it just for the money? Is it to keep things afloat? Is it because it's the only thing you feel you're capable of? I remember I worked in London for a corporate job and then I came back and I worked for the sandwich shop I worked for through college. And I loved it because I would work from 10 to 3. I would make sandwiches. I was a grill cook. I would put sandwiches together as an expediter. It was very physical work, connective to people coming in. It was very busy, but I loved the freedom. And I remember my teacher came in. I was a child development major. She came in one day and I waited on her and she looked at me with disgust. And she was like, why are you working here? And I I couldn't tell her, honestly, because I knew she wouldn't get it. And it was so demeaning, even the question. But I loved that I punched out at three. And I had the rest of the afternoon to myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make a lot of money, but I loved that freedom. And I lived in Austin at the time. So I would go hiking. I would go for long walks with my dog. But that time, after working a corporate job and being tied to it, I chose freedom. Yeah. And there are different types in my life that I've chose money or freedom, depending. But I think we need to ask, okay, why am I doing this? And what are my priorities? You know, what are the priorities in choosing this? And are we limiting to what we're capable of? Like, is this really all you're capable of? Have you ever dared to dream of more? Have you bought into the idea that work has to be this way? What if you were to question what else is possible? You know, what are you meant for? And I think there are so many different jobs out there that you could find meaning and purpose no matter what you were doing. When I was a waitress, I enjoyed serving people and making people happy and have good food. Like, like I said, when I worked in the sandwich shop, I liked making people's food on time and in the right way, you know, and now that as a therapist, I love the work I do because it's what I feel like I'm meant to do. And it gives me meaning and purpose, but in a different way. And my priority now is to serve that purpose. Right. But as a self-employed person, what you were talking about, I have noticed that my overworking shows up in my relationship to my schedule. Mm -hmm. I overpack it and then underpack it and overpack it and underpack it. And it's this constant relationship that I have to work out. So 
I guess the point is just backing up what you said is that even if you're self-employed and it looks like you have all that freedom, you don't have a dependable paycheck. You make your own schedule and there's beautiful things about that. But when I take vacation, no one's paying for me to take vacation. So there's a lot of responsibility in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so funny. When I took the first trip that I had to take being self-employed, I was like, oh, wow. Uh, I can't expense this to someone else. <laughs> I, it's my expense. Yeah, it's it rough was, when you come back. Yeah, it's very, very different. But I think that you bring up a really great point asking, why am I doing this? And here's another thing that I think is, is worth mentioning that, but I, I see this changing. I see this shifting and it makes me happy. We don't live in a society at least here in the States, that gives us much room to change what we do for a living. You know, it's ridiculous to, and yeah, I'm a millennial. I want to do, I don't know. I want to have five different careers throughout my lifetime. And I think I will. And I think I can, Mm -hmm. but I think that part of the reason why we don't know to ask ourselves why we do what we do for a living, that we don't feel supported at large to be able to even ask those questions. And I think that to be alive right now is to say, I don't, I don't need permission. I need to, yes, assess my situation. I need to, especially if I have a family, if I have, you know, whatever, even if you don't have a family, you you still have yourself to take care of. Ask yourself what place of your life you're in, what really matters to you. Sometimes we go through life where Money has to be a priority for whatever reason. But sometimes we can move through life that not being a priority, setting up our lives differently. We're living in a time in which we can ask ourselves these questions and answer honestly, because there's an array of things that we can do. I don't think we've we've really felt allowed, quote unquote, allowed to do that. No, I think people can look at you like, who do you think you are to ask for more or to want more or to feel entitled to more? Mm -hmm. We're looked down upon if we're not accepting. So there's a difference between accepting where you are and working with integrity and taking responsibility. And then there's the asking for more and wanting more for your life. I actually have a friend and he'll say, why do you need more? And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about my husband. I've always wanted to live on an island. You know, Mm -hmm. am I wrong for wanting to live on that island? Or why is it being just a therapist enough? Why do I have to move into teaching? And why do I have to do the podcast? And why do I have to, you know, it's like, why do I need more? Mm -hmm. And for me, my soul longs for more. But I don't think we're taught to listen to that soul longing that says you're allowed. If you're going to live this life, how do you want to live it? How beautiful do you want to make it? And it's not always easy to make that change. I know. I remember my husband was going to grad school. We had a little kid, a one-year-old. He was also bartending till five o'clock in the morning. I waitressed till I was seven months pregnant. I did HR and was a therapist. But we did that for the time until we could get to where we are now. So it wasn't just like, oh, I want to be self-employed and it's all going to work out. Yes, we had to work hard to make those changes, but we were both willing to believe in a life that was different. Mm -hmm. And those years were hard. We did not have a lot of money. Like Mm -hmm. I remember trying to cobble together outfits after I had my babies that would look presentable for showing up as a therapist, you know, (laughs) because, you know, your body's changing and we, you know, but we both worked two or three different jobs to make that happen. So I would love to encourage people to say, 
yes, I do want more. And I'm not talking about material things, a higher quality of life, more freedom. Yes, abundance money gives you that freedom, but wouldn't it be great to be showing up every day to a job you love? I love waking up knowing that I love my work, that it gives my life meaning, and I absolutely love it. I love the people I work with. So if I'm overworking, I can't say I'm overworking and it doesn't bring me joy. I'm at least happy that I spend my days doing something that I love. And what if we were allowed to spend those 40 hours a week, in quotes, doing something that we loved instead of just waiting for the two-day weekends? No. (laughs) That sounds awful. It is. And I've worked it. It is I, awful. I completely agree. Yeah, I. It's so true. It's it's again giving ourselves the permission to have the lives that we want. So again, for those who are still in that space and want to transition, look. I think the transition takes a lot of work, like a lot of actual work, but it also takes the willingness to let go. At some point, if you want to see the transition, the change in your life, you have to, you have to. And that's where this sense of trust and surrender and being supported and being guided, that's where it really comes. Mm -hmm. And not just so that you convince yourself, not just so that you say something nice to yourself, that's going to calm yourself, you know, for five minutes. And then for the next 23 hours and 55 minutes, you're just going to be an anxious mess. This is why it matters to practice mindfulness, presence, spirituality in what we do so that when we do transition, that is a habit, a behavioral pattern, whatever it is you want to call it, a practice, a spiritual practice that you can carry with you because being self-employed brings a different set of things that require us to do the same, to be mindful, to be present. I think that one of the one of the things that we touched on when we were warming up for this talk was how consistency brings harmony. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that we give consistency enough of a space. I don't know that consistency is spoken about enough in terms of how powerful it is. If you're consistent with anything. You don't need to be the smartest. You don't need to be the strongest. You don't need to be the best, the number one. If you're consistent, you're reliable, you're responsible, you're respected for your consistency. I mean, but more importantly, you create the sense of harmony within you because you know you can count on yourself. Yes. And that, that is where the real peace comes from. The the, the real sense of peace. It's okay. I know how to show up. I've got me. I'm going to show up for myself today. And I know that the universe is going to meet me halfway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this isn't, ultimately, it's not really about your relationship to other people or your clients or your customers. It's your relationship to yourself and that consistency and that harmony and balancing your nervous system and being present and focused is so important no matter what you're doing. And I also want to touch on purpose and meaning as far as what your soul longs for. I think we can get confused between dreaming. I think we the things we dream about, I think we need to notice that they're often our soul's longing. Yeah. And some people can say, oh, you just dream that up or you're just dreaming and that'll never happen. But to me, the dreams, those kinds of dreams are our soul giving us little clues as to what is on our path, as to what's next for us. And I also really believe that if we seek out 
answers or fulfillment to that soul's longing. And when I say soul's longing, I mean that ache in your heart that says, I want that. And I'm not talking about a new pair of shoes or a new haircut or a new car. Yes, you may want those, but those are from an ego point of view. I'm talking about that squeezing of your heart that you ache to experience something or be close to something or to know something or do something. That to me is the soul's longing. And remember, if the heart is the voice of the soul, your heart is speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if we fulfill that soul's longing, I don't think we can go wrong. I think it's really part of our evolution and a part of our healing, whatever that is. It's meant for us. If we allow it. And then if we take steps to have that happen, I can't tell you how many times I've had a soul's longing and it might've taken me a year. It might've taken me five years to fulfill that. But as soon as I chose that thing, whatever it was like becoming a therapist, I didn't become a therapist overnight, but when I chose it, every step along the way made me feel excited and closer to what I was meant to do. And there's been many souls longings. It's not just becoming a therapist, becoming a teacher. I started with one student like two years ago. And then slowly it was two and three and four. I knew I was meant to be a teacher, but that didn't happen just overnight. But I was excited to have the experience and training. Same thing with being a medium and all the other things I've done. So if you're dreaming about something, I would encourage you to ask, what is this dream showing you? What is your heart aching for you? And what is your life meant to have? I love that because to ask that question from a heart space allows us to not boggle the question down with the current state of our ego. Because I think that it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, what does my heart ache for? What, What do I really want? You know, I used to dream about it being a Wednesday at 1 p.m., And saying to myself, I want to be walking Jack at the park right now. Jack is my dog. I don't, I don't want to be behind a cubicle. All I want right now is to be enjoying this perfect weather at the park with my dog. That's what I longed for. And it has become, if not my favorite part of my day, because my, my soul feels fulfilled. There's a sense of freedom. There's a sense of connection. There's a sense of a lot of things. But I think that it's important too. there were plenty of times where I didn't feel like that was actually going to happen, right? Because I was stuck in my story at the present moment. But again, and this is not because I did it myself. This was through help with a therapist and processing all of these things. The understanding that if that's my soul's desire, then what capabilities does my ego have to help my soul get there? And then it just becomes very practical. It's like, okay, so, and this isn't, I feel this is important to talk about because a lot of things are talked about, like they just happen magically, or we just put them on the vision board and it happens. It doesn't always work that way. We have to be practical and grounded with the way that we do things. But I think that when spirituality comes into play is to make sure that we don't stop ourselves from answering our soul's longing based on our current egoic experience, which can be pretty miserable. (laughs) It really can. And I think another thing we have to keep an eye out for how the ego wants to sabotage Mm -hmm. when you choose to leave a job. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people ask for a sabbatical or they quit their job and they have a little cushion And I notice that the ego doesn't like empty space. It doesn't like change very much. So we keep talking about the spiritual practice, but this is where spirituality comes in. 
and your relationship to yourself. So noticing I've taken this leap. I've made this choice. Now my ego is saying, oh, look what you did. The fear's coming in and building a relationship to that fear that allows you to go back to the heart, to that knowing, to that longing, to why you did it in the first place. Not listening to the static of the ego or the narratives of what other people say you should be doing with your life. And building that relationship between the two, choosing I'm going to listen to love and purpose rather than my fear. And be prepared if you do make a change. Man, that ego is going to swoop in and it's going to start screaming and yelling and make you feel like you've done the wrong thing and I'm going to tell you now. And that's when you just look at it and you say, I hear you but that doesn't serve me. And you go back to your heart. Mm -hmm. I also want to point out, I don't know if anyone's listened to several of our episodes, they must wonder how we find such joy and beauty and things like walking our dogs. (laughs) And I want to, I want to speak to that because I keep talking about the birds in the podcast and I keep thinking somebody must be like, what is she talking about those birds? (laughs) So I want to bring this home for a minute because when she was talking about her dog, I talk about walking my dog. I talked about just taking walks that morning and coming home to my heart. When you live a life from a heart space, you need so little material things. You don't need much from the outside world to get you excited. You don't want to engage in drama or toxic relationships. Your world gets small, but small and clear and small and beautiful. One of the most magical things when I started my spiritual practice is my first spirit guide was a bird. So I just want to make that clear. And they come to me that way. And I just think they're magical and beautiful. But I was so focused on my suffering and my circumstances and the misery that I was experiencing that I didn't pick up my head and gaze to the outside world and see the beauty in it. And it wasn't until I began my spiritual practice and came home to my heart that I could actually open my eyes and see the expanse of the world in a new way. Not just that it was suffering or not that I didn't want to be here or I didn't like how this thing was. The simplest things began to bring me joy. The simplest things began to bring me peace. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Oh my God. Thank you so much (laughs) for acknowledging that. I think that you're absolutely right. I'm so used to talking about my dog so much and (laughs) there are not a lot of things that I talk about nowadays. I talk about my dog. I talk about my partner. I talk about my work and I'm happy that that's <laughs> what I have to talk about. I don't care. Yeah. Like, right. but, but you're absolutely right. When we ask our heart, what do you want? What are you aching for? It's, I mean, I've come to find that it's just to enjoy the, the simplicity of life and to be able to see love, to be able to see the magic of life in walking through the park, in watching the sunrise. One of the things that became my favorite thing, or one of my favorite things, I feel like I I love so many things now, was the fact that I didn't have to rush up in the morning and get somewhere and, and rush and drink my coffee and rush out of the door. I get to have slower mornings. I get to enjoy my coffee. I get to have a conversation with my partner before he gets off, he goes off to work. So you're right. Our worlds tend to become smaller, but because Something happens where you really get clear just simply about what matters to you, you know, and and it becomes simpler. Yeah. Yeah. And you protect those things. You protect the things that are so important and lovely to you and sacred to you. I think what we're talking about is what do you want to create for your life? What do you want your life to look like? And do you dare to believe that you can have it? 
Do you dare to believe that you can have meaningful work? Do you dare to believe that you could have work that mirrors back to you, that you're on your path and that feels good and that you enjoy showing up every day? Do you dare to have more freedom and more time? Right. Do you dare to believe that abundance could follow your dream? Because I believe if you're living your purpose and your dream, you can be abundant. Yeah. That you can live your purpose and be abundant. <sighs> that's such a heavy question. I mean, I, I you know, that's... I get it. I get being in the space where it's like, can this really happen? You know, but look, you never know until you try. And I think that that's another thing. So again, let's, you know, you're in this job. It doesn't align with you anymore. It doesn't align with your heart's desire. What I found helped me keep going was to build the dream in my head first. And then, okay. So my present moment, again, very practical. What debt do I need to pay off? Do I need to sell things? How much money do I want to save from every paycheck? Where is it going? These are the practical steps that have to be taken. That worked for me, right? That's what helped me. I kept the eye on the prize. This is my vision. This is what I can control now. This is what I can do now. This is what is in my power. And show up mindfully, fully, be present, and do what I need to do. We have to be patient with that. We have to be patient with that. Otherwise, we can't. We won't be able to hold on to the promise that we're making to ourselves, and we won't be able to hold on to the dream. And then that is when we begin to feel like the sense of "I just want to storm out. I just want to tell everybody to fuck off, and I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. I'm done with this job." And and it's like, is that absolutely necessary? Right. Right. Yeah. Do you have to blow it up so you can leave? No, I mean, I mean, I know you talked about being sick in one of our podcasts, so sick from the work environment, sick to your stomach. I know that I was hospitalized from overworking in an environment, just overworking and putting too much in and not having any boundaries. And I think you bring up a good point is what if you could dare to dream and start putting concrete steps? Like if you need to go back to school, taking a few classes, exploring ways that you could leave with integrity, that you could feel like you're doing a good job and getting paid for what you do, but hold on to the fact that you have something on the other side, something that will bring you joy, something that will be purposeful or meaningful. And you don't have to wait till you're hospitalized or have an ulcer or sick or have a blow up at your boss and then live with that regret or feelings that you have to process when that happens. Yes. Yes. I think there's, because I saw this happen several times um, where people would purposely blow things up to be able to just leave that way. And there was something about that that never sat right with me, you know, because I was able to come back to the fact like, wait a minute, no, at some point I wanted this. That's Otherwise I wouldn't have manifested it. And this job for as much as it doesn't connect and align with me now, it has afforded me a really nice life. I have done some really wonderful things because of this work, because of this job, because of this job, I'm able to save for what I do want to do next. So I think, again, when we come back to the fact that a part of us chose this at some point, coming back to that responsibility allows us to view it from a different perspective. And I think that when we end a cycle, any cycle, relationship, work, whatever it is, when we end it on a, on a peaceful note, that that's when things are really done. That's when we really turn the page. 
I think that what you said, that was really interesting. I never thought about that. The mourning that comes, the processing that comes after making rash decisions. Yeah. I think you can walk away peacefully, but if you blow it up, you do have to process that and you have to live with that and you will process it, but still there's something about it that it's, it's not really taking the way out with integrity. Right. It's not taking the mindful way out. And, you know, as we're talking about this topic, I, I feel the need to bring up the idea of commiserating and misery. And we talked about this a little bit about, are we allowed to be happy? Are we allowed to dream? Are we allowed to be joyful? And I think in workplaces, people can really commiserate in misery. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of get off on like, yeah, this sucks. I hate being there. And it can be hard to feel or believe or think differently. And that creates a toxic work environment. So again, we're kind of going back to what are you buying into? What are you participating in? What are you choosing? And is this what you want to choose? Yes. Those are questions that I feel have to be, depending on on your state, sometimes they have to be asked every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes maybe just once a week, sometimes once a month. But it, it requires intention. It requires intention from the self. And this understanding that it's ultimately up to us. What you said about the environment, right? Towards the end of of leaving my previous job, I had to really make difficult decisions about not talking to certain coworkers in the way that I did anymore. Not doing lunch with them, not doing happy hour, just being very mindful because the conversations tended to, you know, be a gossip or just negative. And, and I realized that that was just making it more miserable for me to be there. And it ended up being quite lonely towards the end. But, but honestly, that's what allowed me to, to really focus on this goal that I had, on this intention that I had set, on this promise that I made to myself. And it's what actually made it much more peaceful to be at a job that I didn't want to be at. I, and I wouldn't underestimate the energy that we put off when we're in situations like this and how powerful what we choose to focus on, how that resonates out. So if you choose to engage in that resentment and that misery, that feeds to that climate and that environment. Mm-hmm. But if you choose I bet you, Catherine, going back to that woman you worked with, I bet you people shorted up around her. Yep. I bet you people kept it straight. I bet you they they dotted their I's and crossed their T's around her because she put off that energy of responsibility and integrity and doing a good job. I was thinking about this over a weekend. I did a long car ride and then a long car ride back with my two kids and my husband and a puppy the second day. And there were moments along the way where I was like, this could go bad quick. You know, someone pulls out in front of you, you're driving this long car ride and whoever's driving is, you know, engaging in the frustration, whatever. And I remember kind of thinking, pointing the finger at my kids or my husband, you know, oh, this could go bad. And then I'm like, no, what about you? What about you and your frustration level right now? What about, what are you putting out into this family unit? And I give that example because we, for 48 hours, all kept our shit straight. (laughs) We all took responsibility (laughs) for our moods and our feelings, and we didn't have one blow up. And I'm talking an 11-hour car ride there in the living car (laughs) back within a 48-hour period. And the dog was throwing up and having diarrhea on the way home. Oh, poor baby. But everyone took care of themselves, and it was really – and I have a family of empaths, and I was like, wow. Like, if we can manage – 
how we show up, it's amazing how that resonates out. Yes. Yes. It can be absolutely. contagious. It it really is because Interestingly enough, as I begin to really honor those boundaries within myself and saying, I'm not going to engage in these types of conversations anymore, I ended up coaching two of my coworkers. They ended Amazing. up hiring me as their coach, you know, and there was no intention of that. I, it's not like I was, you know, I, I didn't like to talk about this work in there, but they knew they followed my page. And so, yes. It makes a difference. It makes such a big difference how we honor ourselves, how we hold ourselves, how we keep promises to ourselves. Again, this the, the theme of consistency is much more about the consistent relationship we have with ourselves. And I know what it's like to have a sick dog in a long ride. <laughs> how you just have to be like, okay, all right, so let's pull over. Let's let's clean it up. Okay, and let's keep going. <laughs> Yeah. What if we were all like Catherine in the way we approached our emotional and mental well-being? What if we had, you know, like signs on our desk <laughs> to our mm -hmm. ego that said, I'm not available right now? Mm -hmm. Or what if we managed our emotions? Or what if we showed up and we took responsibility and we had integrity? I mean, it's kind of fascinating, you know, what she did as a metaphor for our relationship to ourselves. Oh my cool. God. I remember when I used to work with her, I didn't work with her every day, but when we had the same shift, it was like, I did not mess around. I was on it. I did not. And not because she would say anything to me. She never would, but I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't. Oh, I that's so interesting. I really wanted like, okay, I can't, I can't mess around. I need to, I need to really show up and it makes a difference. It really makes a difference if we can all show up to our work, especially like Catherine from that space. She always practiced a lot of gratitude, a lot of gratitude. I'm grateful I get to spend the days with my husband. I'm grateful we get to go on vacations. I'm grateful we get to visit really cool resorts because of the company that I work for. So I find that gratitude helps a lot. This isn't just to put a bandaid on things. This isn't just to say things that make us feel better momentarily. This is about genuinely looking at life and realizing, yeah, there are plenty of things to be grateful for because of this job. It's not where I want to be forever. And that doesn't have to be the case. But if we recognize how much these jobs have actually given us, again, because we, at some point we chose them, our perspective changes. It really transforms. Yeah. So... I hope that this conversation was helpful because I, I know that I spoke a lot about my experience, but it, it's true. And, and I'm so happy now that I had that experience to be able to talk about it on a podcast now and hopefully let it be of help, of service. And if there's one thing that, that I just offer, especially if this is something that you're going through, please don't go through it alone. Mm -hmm. Really, that journey became so much easier for me to hold with love when I started working with a therapist. And there are career coaches, there are spiritual coaches, you know, Ashley is, is a therapist, I'm a coach. So please don't do it alone. It's not necessary. And that kind of transition is not just about what you do for a living. This is a much bigger transition that is externalizing itself as a shift in what you do for a living. There's a lot more going on inside that, again, your soul is yearning for and now wants. 
And it's just about our human minds catching up to what our soul knows. And that's a whole process. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for this conversation, Ashley. And for those that are listening, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Millie.